turn with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Samuel and uh, chapter 3. I'm going in a moment to read the first 11 verses of, uh, of that passage, but it wouldn't be fair to do that without giving you a little bit of a background to um, the book of Samuel and the, and the lead up to this story. So maybe if you've got your Bibles, you want to turn to chapter 1 and maybe scan it as, uh, uh, as I give you a quick overview. So the background of the passage we've got here is uh, there's a guy called Elkanah um, who has a wife. Actually, he has two wives. Um, I'm not going to say too much about that right now, but uh, two wives sometimes God tolerates, but it's usually a bit of a disaster. And so it proved um, in some ways uh, in this situation. He had one wife called Hannah and another wife called uh, Panina. Um, now, Hannah was unable to have children. And uh, Panina had children uh, with Elkanah. And regularly, they would go to the temple in Shiloh, um, as the law um, commanded them, to worship God. Now, actually, Panina used those opportunities of going up to the temple to give Hannah a good ribbing about the fact that she couldn't have children. And uh, as a result, Hannah, as you might understand, and uh, was very, very upset. And she would weep in the temple before God, crying that God would uh, remove this stigma from her. And uh, there was one occasion where she was kneeling down, praying silently, um, kind of whispering to God. And uh, Eli, who is one of the characters in, uh, in our story, the priest, saw her mouthing these prayers. And he thought she was drunk. And he challenged her on this. Um, and she said, no, no, I'm praying to God. I'm praying because of the situation that, I, uh, that I'm in. And uh, he responded with a blessing. Uh, and uh, asked that God would grant Hannah's request. And God remembered Hannah, and soon after, she gave birth to a baby boy called Samuel. And, uh, um, and uh, Hannah remembered the promise that she gave to God and brought Samuel to Eli the priest to dedicate him just as Will and Emma aboard Elspeth to be dedicated, to dedicate him to the work of the Lord. Now, at the same time, if you look at chapter 2, there were some not-so-positive things going on because Eli had two sons who were kind of in the, in the training to be priests, and they were absolutely abusing their position. They were stealing food. They were committing acts of uh, sexual immorality. And when Eli challenged them on this, they basically... Brushed, brushed him off, ignored him. And do you know what? Eli also ignored the situation. He didn't confront it. And so we come to chapter 3, and I start reading at verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. 
And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call you, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went down and went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times. Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray that you would open these words up to us. Lord, that you would speak through your word you would show us the relevance for our lives today. Lord, would you bless us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Being outnumbered in my household three to one by ladies, I fairly regularly come under criticism for being a man. See, the problem is I can't multitask. I leave the toilet seat up. And when I try and change my mind, I'm accused that we can't possibly do that. That's a woman's privilege. But there is one thing that probably I'm criticised for most. And that is the inherent ability of men to zone out when they're being spoken to. I can be watching the TV and there can be conversations going on and I know nothing about them at all very annoying to my wife and two daughters who can happily watch TV, have a conversation, be sending emails on, uh, um, on their laptops or, or iPads or whatever, um, and still criticize me at the same time for not listening. Very annoying. And I've worked out that it's most definitely a male trait because my son Joshua has perfected it already, even at a young age. In fact, he's taken it on to another level in that not only can he zone out and not hear what people are telling him, but he actually hears what he wants to hear. <laughs> Let me explain. He might have a conversation with my wife that goes something like this, Mum, can we have a Chinese takeaway tonight? My wife will say, well, perhaps you better ask your dad. Dad, Mum says we're having takeaway tonight. <laughs> How did that happen? This morning, we are looking at a passage from the Word of God where people most certainly had a problem with hearing. They were not listening to the Word of God. And the passage that we will read gives a very clear picture of just the kind of relationship that God's chosen people, Israel, had 
with their Father God at this time. So, if we could uh, have the next slide, please, Jonathan. We read, in those days, the word of the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. What does it mean? The word of the Lord was rare. Well, for me, there were two things that, and the reason I gave you the background for the first two chapters, there are two things that uh, kind of stand out to me. First of all, it seems that the word of God was not preached. We see the behaviors of the priests that were almost doing anything but trying to teach the people under them. And whilst there was this kind of air of religiosity of people coming down every year as the law commanded them to come and and worship and sacrifice before God, it's almost that they were doing anything but being honest and sincere in that worship, in that sacrifice. The priests were not feeding the people. The people were not understanding. They were not able to hear. And if you kind of read back through the books of the Bible preceding Samuel, you'll see in Judges that throughout about a 40-year period when Eli was priest, there were, we are only told, of two uh, prophetic insights and possibly five revelations from God over that whole period. The word of God was rare. It was not a good time for Israel. Thanks, Jonathan. But the question that I would ask is, was God not speaking, or men and and women at that time, not listening to what he was saying? You see, I can zone out, and my boy can zone out, and my wife and my daughters can be saying all kinds of things. They can be speaking, but I just don't listen. I don't hear I don't listen. God's people had zoned out. You see, they'd come into the promised land. They were in there. God had led them into Canaan. But the one thing they had failed to do was address the ungodliness in that land. And over time, they had become absorbed in the ways of life of the Canaanites. They'd adopted some of their practices and principles. They'd even started worshipping in kind of subtle ways the gods of the Canaanites. And it was a bad time for the Israelites. They were losing their distinctiveness as God's people. They were not hearing from God because they were zoned out. They were not seeing visions from God because they were not allowing him to reveal himself. Next slide, please. There's a famous verse in Proverbs that without a vision, the people perish. And we see in this passage, at this time, there were not many visions. The people of Israel had lost sight of who God was. And we see a picture throughout those first few verses of just how serious it had got. 
Some of these are kind of symbolic representations, but they're worth, worthy of looking at. Eli, how is he described? He's described as an old man who could barely see. He could barely see physically. He could barely see spiritually. And isn't it interesting that spiritual deafness often goes hand in hand with spiritual blindness? If we're not listening to God, we won't see what he's doing. There's passages in the Bible that say that actually God's glory is revealed plainly for everybody to see. And yet the God of this age has blinded people from those truths. If we're not listening, if we're not seeking God's vision, we will be blinded. And we see also that whilst it was night, there were not many visions, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. We'll come on to that in a little bit. But the it was night thing speaks volumes to me, I think. It was a dark place spiritually, and it was a dark place at the time of this story. Eli was so blinded that he mistook Hannah's prayers for drunken babbling. If you look in chapter 2, Eli was so deaf that uh, he would not listen to a prophecy directly given against his family. Eli was so entrenched in his habits that we see in those first few verses that it describes Eli was lying down in his usual place. Now, you might just say, well, that was his bed. But for me, lying in his usual place, he was not moving on. He was stuck, absolutely stuck in a rut. There was no moving on. It was a dark place. It was night. But the lamp of God had not yet gone out. You know, it struck me when Phil was talking earlier about Black Friday. I don't know if you uh, know why it's called Black Friday. But uh, apparently it's uh, um, a kind of nod to uh, accounting terms that... uh, if your balance is in the black, it's good. You're making loads of money. And Black Friday is all about retailers wanting to make as much money as possible on this uh, one day of the year. But I think there's much more significance in the word black when we look at it from a spiritual perspective. It's Black Friday because we have totally lost the vision of what God wants us to do. We've lost completely the meaning of Christmas if we're just focusing on how much money do we make, how much can we sell, can I get stuff the cheapest I possibly can. There were not many visions. It was night. But thankfully, the lamp of God had not gone out. What does that mean? As we look at Samuel, we see something quite different. Where was Samuel lying? In the temple. 
near the ark of God. He was being as close to God as he possibly could. He was a boy who, whilst he hadn't had all the training that he needed, he was still ministering in the temple. He was a boy that had been dedicated to God, and although he hadn't you know, understood fully, he'd got it right. He knew where he needed to be. He knew that he needed to be near the lamp of God. He knew he needed to be near the Ark of the Covenant. He knew he needed to be near God. So whilst in many ways it was a dark place, and almost like the sun was setting on a, a certain chapter of, uh, of Israel's life, the lamp of God had not yet gone out because Samuel was there as a faithful servant. And I wonder what you think about that as you think of the role of the church in what, let's be honest, is a dark place in this world. What role do we have to play in being a light? See, God has promised that you know, his lamp will not go out until he returns again. But he calls us as a church to be ready, tending that lamp, keeping that, uh, that flame alight until he does come again. Are we as a church dedicated to tending that lamp and make sure that for us it doesn't go out? You see, it was clear to Eli and his sons and to many of the people that they were not listening and therefore they didn't hear. God called Samuel. Samuel heard the voice. Eli heard nothing. Eli had lost that ability to tune into God. And when we as a people, if we lose the habit of listening out for God, if we lose the habit of expecting God to speak to us and to show things, if we zone out, we'll not hear him. We need to be ready to hear from God. Thankfully, Samuel was uh, faithful. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that Samuel didn't at first recognize who was calling him. It took him three attempts. And it's also interesting that Eli didn't twig early on. He was so much in his kind of stupor, so much stuck in his rut, stuck in his usual place, that even when God spoke, he didn't hear. How we as a church, how we as individuals must earnestly seek to listen out to hear God in everything. And how do we do that? Well, first off, we need to understand what he says in his word. We need to pray, but prayer is very much a two-way thing. It's not just about us giving our um, uh, petitions to God. It's about us listening in return. It's about us sharing fellowship, being close together, not being stuck in our usual places or being uh, kind of stuck in the ways of the world, but it's being close as a, as a fellowship, close uh, kind of symbolically to the ark in the temple. If we don't listen, we won't hear. And what was Samuel's response? 
I guess, first of all, he uh, responded probably not knowing quite what he was saying. Because he said, here I am, but then went up to Eli because he thought Eli was calling him. For those of you uh, who are a regular part of this uh, congregation, this membership, you'll know that we started this year looking in Exodus at God confronting Moses in the burning bush. And what was Moses' response when God called him? Here I am. And I wanted us to use that as a kind of prompt, as a kind of motto throughout this year, a kind of challenge to what is our response as a church when God calls us. And I hope that it's that. Here I am. I hope that as we search for a new pastor, I hope that as we search for understanding a vision and a strategy for this place, that we'll be able to stand up and say, here I am. I don't know what you want of me, but here I am. It's a very different response, isn't it, from Samuel perhaps shouting up, what do you want? Because so often we kind of fall into the trap of trying to understand what is it that God wants before we make a decision about what we're going to do for him. But both Moses and Samuel... Uh, and Isaiah, if you want to look at all the passages that refer to who, here I am, first responded, here I am. It wasn't a kind of conditional response. It wasn't a kind of, well, let me know what you want and I'll see if it kind of fits in with my schedule and fits in with what I think uh, we want to do. No, here I am no matter what. That's a big challenge. But it's what God wants of us. So I just wanted to touch very briefly in kind of closing on going back to that statement about uh, vision. There was not much vision in those days. And what that means to us at this time when we're seeking to understand what God's vision is. And at the last church meeting, we presented some of the early thoughts that we had as a leadership uh, as to what we think... um, would be a good vision for us to have where, as a church, if Jesus came back, we could say, this is what we've been aspiring to, and hopefully hear Jesus say in return, well done, good and faithful servants. So we've been trying to answer that kind of question, what kind of church does God want us to be? And whilst it's not finished yet, by any means, and uh, thank you for those that have fed ideas in, Um, just want to share some of those words. You don't have to read them all, but I've highlighted uh, some particular words. But if we are a church that is led by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is given to teach us, to show us God, to be the comforter, to inspire us, to be that sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God. If we are led by the Spirit, then we'll not be stuck in that rut. We'll not be without vision. And we'll not be without the Word of God. If we are empowered by prayer, two-way prayer, then we will start to be able to listen to what God has to say. If we're sincere in our worship, not like uh, those that were just going up to the temple to uh, um, fulfill their sense of obligation, 
and not really be sincere, actually use it as a bit of an opportunity to have a dig at one another, if we're sincere in our worship, then God will reveal himself to us. If we're committed to Christian discipleship, just as Hannah dedicated Samuel in the temple to grow up and mature in his understanding, then surely that's what God wants us to be. He wants to develop the giftings that he's given us. He wants us to have that unconditional here I am perspective that uh, doesn't say, well, I'm only going to do the kind of things that uh, um, I feel I want to. We need to be that body, that church that encourages and equips so that we can go out and share the good news so that the word of God in this place, in Lim, is not rare. that the word of God is spoken and demonstrated outwardly, both in limb and overseas. See, when you read those kind of words that the leadership have uh, commended to us as a church, we start to see the opposite of what we saw in Samuel, where it was dark, the lamp hadn't gone out yet, but there was not much vision and not much hearing from God. Surely we want to be a church that sees that new dawn come, that sees the doors of the temple flung open wide. And when people hear the words, remember that last verse that I uh, read? People's ears tingle because of what God's doing. Do you not want that to be a limb? that people's ears would tingle because of what they hear God can do for them. So it's my prayer that as a church, we kind of grasp on maybe different forms of words, but the sentiment of that vision to hang on and and grow in maturity of Jesus. That the word of God would not be rare. The word of God would be preached out loud and that the visions would be every day as we see God's blessing poured out in this place in the community. So let our response be to that when God calls, here I am. Let us be a people who listen to his voice, who know his voice, who are not zoned out because of all the other things that are going on and the troubles that, that we might be experiencing elsewhere. Let us be a people who respond. Here I am, God. What do you want to do with me? And it might be that some of us are thinking, well, do you know what? Surely it's the responsibility of the new pastor when we get him to to come in and reveal his vision for us. Surely, you know, it's, it's our responsibility to wait. No, I don't think so. When was it that God ushered in a new era, if you like, for Israel? Who was Samuel? Samuel was a little boy. What did Samuel eventually go on to do? He went on to anoint King David. But before he could do that, he had to respond to God's call, here I am. And I honestly believe that, you know, it might be Years before we get a new pastor, I pray not. 
But we as a church have to be ready not just to receive him and say, right, it's all over to you now. We want to hear exactly what you have to say. This vision needs to be God's vision, not an individual's vision. It is no good us waiting to hear, um, you know, what one man's vision is. We've got to listen out. We've got to understand God's voice in all this. The problem with the Israelites in those days, they listened too much to what priests and their sons who'd drifted away were saying. They listened too much to the voices of the Canaanites who were leading them away from the truth. They were stuck in a rut. They were not hearing from God. Let us not be like that. Let us grasp the vision that God has for this place and let's trust that God will anoint a new leader in the right time. Amen.